Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman. She is the managing partner at Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco, which is a registered investment advisory firm. She's also the author of The Wealth Intersection, and the website there is thewealthintersection.com. Welcome to the show, Megan. It's nice to be here, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So just give a little bit of background about how you got to where you are today. Um, the short story is I'm a tax attorney by training, but I've never practiced. I've always worked in the high net worth space, sort of being an advocate and a consultant to people as they navigate their financial lives. So I've got to I've gotten to see a lot of different things financially, what works, what doesn't work. And so it's 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 sort of fun doing what I do and working with people. What are some of the most common questions you're getting from clients today? Uh, You know, I think, first of all, I think the new tax law has a lot of people sort of trying to understand, you know, what what does it mean for them, right? They've been told sort of incessantly through the media that they are going to get a tax cut. But, you know, what we're finding, particularly in states like California and New York, is that while there is a group of people who are getting tax cuts, there are people who are basically staying neutral or there are others who are going to have a tax increase. It really depends on where you, what income band you're in. So I think people are really trying to navigate that. And they ask a lot of questions, I think, focused on, you know, does charity, charity still have meaning for me? Should I still keep a mortgage now that we have this higher standard deductions? And so I think there's a lot of people just trying to figure out what makes sense for them. Are people changing their behavior because of the $10,000 limitation on property taxes and mortgage interest, particularly in high-tax states where their mortgages would be much higher than that and their property taxes would be much higher than that? Are they all planning to move? (laughs) You know, it's funny. There's always that chatter amongst people in high-tax states that they're going to leave. But I think that chatter has definitely um, increased in volume. I think what you're going to see is people making decisions that are very strategic. So you're hearing more about people, you know, I'm hearing more people wanting to move to Florida, to Texas, to Washington State. But what's really important as they make these moves is understanding how to leave a state. Uh, You know, California, for instance, is one of the hardest states to leave. It's not a days in, days out test state. It's a facts and circumstances test. So, you know, when they look at all the evidence, do you look like a Californian? And it's really hard for people to to exit a state and, and remove the evidence that they're a Californian. So, I mean, the chatter has definitely increased, um, and I think you're going to see people doing it. Um, but, you know, what I tell a lot of people is ultimately what's going to drive some of these decisions is where your family is. You know, especially for boomers who are contemplating retirement, where their kids and, more importantly, their grandchildren are, that will often determine where they end up living, regardless of state tax issues. So say you want to do that. Say you want to follow your advice and not become a California. You want to move to Washington, Texas, or Florida. What are some of the steps you need to take, and this would be true for any high-tax state, to make sure that you are fully yeah. a resident and therefore have much lower taxes? Yeah, well, you know, I, I deal a lot. I work with East Coast clients as well, and you get a lot of people in states like uh, New York and my home state of New Jersey 
contemplating moving to Florida. And so what's important is, is really to look at the rules. And, and I strongly encourage anyone considering doing it to sit down with their CPA and a state attorney. Because in Florida, to become a resident, you know, there is a day count, right? You need to be there at least 183 days. But then some of the other requirements that they have is that you have a Florida estate plan. So you might have went out in New York City and gotten an estate plan, but if you want to really, truly domicile in Florida, you've got to update your documents. And I will also tell anyone who's making that shift, when you're doing the days in, days out, you really need to document it. You know, when are you leaving? Where, where are your flights? When are you actually in the state of Florida so that you look like a resident? So it's a lot of those little steps that really make a difference. Very good. Okay, we're going to go to another topic that you're interested in, which is 529 plans and college financing. Yeah. So you have a lot of high-income clients. As, as, their, as their kids are entering college these days, are they mm-hmm. pretty well prepared for it financially? Have they saved enough? Or are they having to borrow a lot? What, what is the state of finances of uh, uh, families where kids are entering college these days? Yeah, I mean, for my clientele, they're they're pretty well funded for education. But for most Americans, you know, the the concept of education funding and 529 plan strategies, it, it's really, you know, the good news is people have learned that we need to have these things. The challenge that is facing everybody today is we're we're not saving enough for it. And the thing that you really have to keep in mind, Jordan, is that how you strategize about your child's education funding will have a lifelong impact on them. Because what we're seeing today with Gen X, and in particular the millennials, is they have come out of school with much more debt than the boomers did. And because the interest rates are so high, it's having an impact on them building wealth from doing things like funding their retirement accounts, or buying their first home. So, you know, I think for education funding strategy, it's really, really important to understand that for most people, you can't overfund. Really, it's going to be about making sure you fund enough. And Fidelity has done a number of studies on this, and what they have found is that overall, most parents, whether they're parents of preschoolers, parents of high schoolers, all underestimate the cost of college. So, What, what should people be estimating? For, say for a 17-year-old today, uh, what should it be? I mean, a private's going to be much more than, than public, but just what should be estimated? And say you have a newborn or a one-year-old today, what would you mm-hmm. estimate 18 years from now? Okay, well, th- this number, it's a big number, right? So if you have a high schooler today and you're looking at private school, it's easily 220000 plus. If you're looking in the public school area, you're looking at about $140,000 all in for all the costs. And if you go and you have a little, you know, a newborn or a preschooler, we're looking probably at about $320,000 plus for private and about $210,000 plus for public school. So these are big numbers. And, and keep in mind, part of the reason the numbers are so large is education has a higher inflation rate than the cost of milk at the store. 
Okay, it's it's a big issue in this country. When when you run numbers to make sure that your dollar is going to be able to cover education costs, you really need to be looking at it with a lens of an inflation rate between five and six percent. So why is it that colleges can can raise prices much higher than the general inflation rate? <laughs> because we're both because college kids are both the consumer and they are the product in a college. Um, and what I mean by that is they've done a lot of studies, um, you know, and, and and there's a couple different schools of thought. You know, there's the school of thought that a lot of state and federal aid has gone away over the past 10 to 20 years. There's also the school of thought that, it, you know, since the early 2000s, access to private loans has increased. And then there's sort of the the third school of thought, which I think got a lot of press about three years ago by a writer named Adam Davidson, who in the New York Times talked about, you know, what's gone on here is tuition is so high because it also lets schools sculpt who are the students that attend the school. So if a tuition is $60,000 and you've got 10 people who've made it in and half of them can pay the 60 and the other half can't, they can offer tuition aid. So so really, it's these sort of three things coming together that have has caused tuition to just have a higher inflation rate. And you and think so, it's going to continue? You're saying this is not short-term, that's going to continue at 5 to 7%, even off these very high levels? I would anticipate that. I think for anybody who's got a child today, if you're not using a 5 to 6% inflation rate, you're really not doing justice to your college planning, okay? So what you really have to think about, Jordan, is, you know, when you're investing in a 529 plan, and we'll get to that, you know, how they work in a moment, what you're really doing is investing to have your money today keep up with the with the pace of inflation. And, and, and that's a pretty scary thing when you're a parent and you've got, you know, one or two children who are looking to go to school. It is a very, very big number that you have to save for. The reality is a lot of people, the vast majority of people, are not going to have close to that amount saved up in a 529 plan or UGMA or any other account by the time they get to school, which is why they're going to so much debt, right? So, I mean, do you see that changing? I mean, the amount of debt people are taking on going forward? I I think that you're going to see a couple things. I think the, the millennials, right, and as they have come out and we've watched them struggle under this debt burden. And and keep in mind, right, anyone who came out, you know, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, came out statistically with less than, I think, $37,000 in debt. And now it's, it's, it's crept well above that number of people coming out of school, well above $50,000 a year in debt. So I think what you're going to see is people rethinking it. And I think what we have to do as a country is make education planning something that people do from the moment their child's born, but that they involve their child with. You know, we we have great tools at our disposal. As you mentioned, there's UGMAs, there's UTMAs, there's 529s. And I think, you know, parents have to learn out of the gate when their child's born how much they need to be saving every month to get to, you know, a a college tuition that's fully paid for. But at the same time, I think we have to involve our children in the discussion. So I'll give you a really quick example from something I recently just happened. 
Um, I have clients that had saved for their son's education, and he's been aware of it his whole the whole 15 years he's been alive. And we just sat down with him, and we went through numbers. We showed the 529 plans, how much were in there, and then ran it out amongst different scenarios with a state school versus a private school. And it was an eye-opening experience for this young man here at 15 because, you know, first of all, it's thrilling for him to know that his parents have done all the hard work and saved, but but here he is and he's looking at these numbers and he's saying, well, I'd be better served going to a, a public school or to a state school because then I'll have money left over for grad school. Yes. Whereas if I go for a, a private school, I'm going to actually have to take out loans to get myself fully through. And grad school is going to be completely on loan money. Yes. And so, so what's going to be really key here is if you're going to do education funding with your child, you really need to engage them in the conversation because the decisions they're making at 16, 17, 18 years of age to commit to a school has a ripple effect down the line in terms yes. of how they will succeed financially. Very good. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s and I am still paying student loan debt. And that's oh, yeah. not uncommon. We have to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman. She is the managing partner uh, at Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco. Uh, she's also the author of the WealthIntersection.com website, which you can find out at TheWealthIntersection.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, Visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? 
Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman. She's the managing partner uh, at Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco, also the author of the WealthIntersection.com website. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thanks, Jordan. Just tell us briefly, what is at the WealthIntersection.com website? Sure. I'm, you know, I've been in this industry for quite a long time, and I find people's stories really fascinating. I'm a bit of a history uh, geek. So it's a lot of me writing about personal finance issues, but tying it to things that people might relate to. Um, you know, recent things that we've talked about is uh, Anthony Bourdain, um, you know, and it's pretty tragic what, what's happened there. But if you read the news, his ex-wife, or actually his estranged wife, was still married to him. And so it does bring up some estate planning issues that, you know, I think a lot of us can learn from in that if you're separated from your spouse, they still have control over a lot of your financial life in the event you, you pass away early. So it's sort of looking at where wealth intersects with with different things that we see in pop culture, music, psychology, and it's sort of fun to write about. Great. Okay, so uh, let's get back to the uh, college funding and all that. So we were talking about how these tuitions have gone up so much. Does it make sense for the people that are taking on this huge amount of debt, 200,000, 300,000 undergraduate, never mind two, three, four hundred thousand 400,000 for graduate (laughs) school? Uh, You think a lot of people doing this are, are not doing the right thing. They should not be taking on this level of debt for what they're coming out with. I think, first of all, I think it has to, to really be, are you able to start as parents? I think this goes back to parents in that out of the gate, can they start savings, right? And get your child's funding up to a certain amount. So, and once you do, I think you need to involve the child in the discussion, but there's a lot of fun things you can do out there. I think first, let's just go through the concept of a 529 plan. Okay. And, and then let's talk about different things you can do. You know, a 529 plan, as, as most people may, may not know, the, the term 529 is merely a reference to the section of the tax code. And it started during uh, George W. Bush's presidency, these these education funds. And what you do as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt um, is you can set up an account for the benefit of the child. And you fund the account and the money grows tax deferred. And if the child takes the money out for qualified education expenses, tuition, room and board, the money comes out tax free. 
So that's the basic concept of a 529 plan. And in now, some states, it's the contribution is deductible, not all states. Do you know how many states it is deductible? I think, I, I don't quote me, I think it's approximately 12 states. Uh-huh. So there are states, to your point, that do give a state tax deduction. Now, what I always tell people is, just because they give a tax deduction doesn't mean you should invest in that state's plan. In the past probably 16, 17 years since 529 plans started, there has been a huge evolution in how 529 plans invest. And it's really important as you take the step to do a 529 plan that you consider all angles. So plans are separated into two groups. One is an advisor plan where you get access to a plan through an advisor. And then other plans are what are called direct plans, where you go direct to the provider to get access. And, you know, it's, it's parents feel really good when they make the decision to fund a 529 plan. So you have to really real, you have to realize that once you make the decision to fund it, you don't want to be paying a lot in investment cost. You want to make sure that every dollar you save for your child, the majority of it is going to the child. How, how so much more would an advisor fund cost on a direct plan if you have the same the same plan in the same state? It's it's a good question. So you know, some of the advisor plans come with what we call front end loads, which is there is a cost just to invest in the plan. And then there is an underlying investment structure. So I have seen advisor plans as high as five and a quarter percent front end load with almost a one percent underlying fee structure. At the same time, I have seen direct sponsored plans that have more of a lower fee structure. So to give you an example, the Fidelities, the, the Vanguards of the world have really gone forward and put together plans that have a very low cost structure. And so you can get access to a 529 plan and be paying less than 10 basis points for the investments. Do you think and it's it worth it for people to buy, do the advisor plan and, and pay 5% upfront? Is the advice they're gonna give worth that much in return? What I would tell you is this, ultimately, if you do an advisor plan versus direct plan, if you start to run the numbers out over 18 to 22 years, the cost of the advisor it is going to add up. It could add up to even about half a semester worth of tuition over the long term. And so for most Americans, keeping it simple, doing a direct plan is probably the best course of action. So how and do you plan it yourself? Do you do advisor funds or you recommend people to do direct funds and then you tell them which uh, options to choose and you charge them some kind of fee? Is that the way it works with you? Uh, no. So, well, I do direct plans. And with my clients, uh, we do it as part of their financial pa- uh, planning. And to work with me, most people pay a consulting fee. So it's part of that fee. But we don't put uh, an investment fee on the 529 plan. Typically, I use the Vanguard plans or the Fidelity plans because I like the low fee structure and I like the fact that they have something called age-based. And age-based means that you look at the age of the child you're investing for. So if you have a newborn, you would do the zero to three-year-old. 
and you would say, okay, I'm, I'm this style of investor, whether it's conservative, moderate, or, or growth, and I would invest in that strategy based on my child's age. And what's kind of really like, great- the same idea as the target funds, right? This is like the target funds for retirement, basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's very similar to that. It is like a target retirement fund um, for your child. And, you know, what, what happens is it takes the thinking out of trying to make decisions on asset allocation. And so then your job as the parent is really every month to be putting money into the plan. On average, the average American family is doing approximately $300 a month to a 529 plan. And really, if you can, you know, first of all, anyone who's listening, anything you put into the 529 plan is great. You know, really, though, when they've done studies on what people should be doing, it should almost be double what the average American family is putting into a plan. And that goes to the fact that most people are underestimating the cost of education. Are there some specific states offering Vanguard or Fidelity funds that you like the way their plans are put together, the 529 plans? Yeah, and you can, there's a, first of all, there's a great website, Saving for College. Um, I, I'm a big fan of this website. They have great articles and they have great calculators um, that you can go on and plan for this. So they can actually, on this site, they do a review of all of the plans out there. The other group that also does a, an annual review of plans is Morningstar. So simply get out there, Google Morningstar 529. And you will be able to look at their what they how they rate plans as well. And, do you and this agree with their plans, or do you have your own opinions in addition to what Morningstar has? Um, I agree majority with what they say, right? I mean, good investing is really boring and should be really cost effective. And mm-hmm. I know that that's not what people want to hear. People want fun, exciting investments. But when you're building a core portfolio, particularly to achieve a goal like retirement or education funding, you want to go with a, you know, straight asset allocation that's pure vanilla, gets you full exposure to the markets, but you're not taking any unnecessary risks or taking on any unnecessary cost. So keeping it simple. Getting back to the states, based on what you've seen, what Morningstar has put out, what Saving for College... What yeah. are what are two states that you like with Fidelity and Vanguard plans that you're using with your clients? I love uh, Nevada's plan. Nevada was an early adopter to the Vanguard 529 plan. And then on the California side, I like the Scholarship, Scholarship plan, which is part of the Fidelity network. Both of them do age-based investing. Both of them do low cost. And I think both sites really give parents information that's very valuable in terms of how do you how do you need to think about your plan? And Fidelity has really led the charge on a lot of the studies about how 529 plans are being used in this country. Um, and they're the ones who are really sort of raising the red flag saying parents are underestimating the cost. Yes. And so that's why I would also tell you all of those sites have great calculators as does savingforcollege.com. Um, th- there's just some really great tools out there it's getting parents to use them and, and not be afraid to use them. I yeah. would tell anyone considering a 529 plan, you don't need to go through a broker. You can do this on your own because there is so much data out there to help you be successful. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman. 
She's managing partner at uh, Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco. Her website is the in- thewealthintersection.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman, managing partner at Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco. Her website is thewealthintersection.com. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thanks, Jordan. So there's been a change in the 529 plan as part of the new tax law, which passed the end of last year. What are those changes and how can people take advantage of them? Yeah, the biggest change out there is 529 plans had always been for college and graduate school. And now you can use it to fund K through 12 private school tuition. And there, there is a restriction on the amount. It's $10,000 a year. So this is, this is great news. It's a great planning option. But keep in mind, most people aren't going to have enough saved for their children's college education. So this is really only going to benefit a select group of people who are paying for their children to go through private school who will also have enough funds 
to cover their children through college. Are there different state interpretations of this? How are different states dealing with that? Yeah, the piggyback rules. The piggyback rules are interesting. So when there is a new tax law, and this is a new federal law, the states have to choose when they are going to, if they're going to piggyback on it and comply, or if they're going to decide not to follow the federal rules. So I'm sitting here in the state of California, and today, if you wanted to use your 529 plan for private school, you it would be tax-free for federal purposes. But since California hasn't piggybacked onto the federal rules, you would pay a penalty on the money you took out. That's 2.5%. Plus, you pay tax on the income gained on the earnings on the account. Now, when we've been running numbers for clients, what we've realized is ultimately it might still make sense for them to take the money out for private school and pay the penalty in tax because net-net they still end up ahead. But it is going to be a person-by-person decision on that because it has to do really with how much you have saved for college and, and, and that's the biggest question at all, uh, overall. Have a lot of states piggybacked on the federal and make it tax-free as well? Um, I think right now we're over 25 states who've agreed to it. So if you're in the situation where you want to take the 10000 out to pay for private tuition for your K through 12th grader, call your 529 plan provider. They are often the re- best resource for the most up-to-date in compliance of what states are in compliance. But it brings up an interesting little loophole that's out there today. Um, There is this thinking out there that in states that offer a state tax deduction, if you're a parent who can afford to pay for college and private school, you might open a 529 plan just for private school for K through 12. And when you fund it, you get the tax deduction and then you might immediately use it to pay tuition. And so that's one of these little nuances out there that parents, um, you know, who have considerable means might be taking advantage of um, unless they go and close that loophole in the near term. Is it the same 529 plan? You have one plan and now you can use it for K through 12 private and college or is there a separate college one and a separate K through 12 one? You, it can be both. So most people out there will have just one plan right? For, for everything. Yeah. Where parents are going and setting up a separate plan are in states where they have this state tax deduction. I see. Because they're trying to take advantage of, you know, that state tax deduction in funding K through 12. So, so you can get a state tax deduction for the, the K through 12 and you can t- contribute to a college one and get a deduction for both. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And then if you want to geek out even more on the tax front, you can even a lot of people are now going to be eligible for the child tax credit under the new code. So previously, you could get the ch- child tax credit if your income married filing joint was one hundred and ten thousand or less. Today, that credit is now eligible for married filing joint for incomes at four hundred thousand dollars or less. And so that's a two thousand dollar credit per child. So yeah. if you're a savvy parent out there, you could take that money from the credit and put it into your 529 plan, and the government's oh. helping you fund education. 
I see. How, how can people use these 529 plans as part of their comprehensive financial planning? I mean, my sense is a lot of parents borrow against their 401ks, their home equity, their life insurance policies, anything that's not tacked down to yeah. avoid doing uh, loans and so on if they haven't saved enough of 529. How do you kind right. of integrate it so they don't end up with a cut by the time the kid graduates, just have huge amounts of debts beyond student loan debts? Right. In, in doing that, I think what, what parents have to really think about is that, first of all, parents have to have a true understanding of what college is going to cost. And what they're going to have to figure out is whatever they're saving on a monthly basis to college, they might only be able to fund half of their child's education. So some of the thinking, you know, parents should do out there is, is one, get a good understanding of what schools they can afford with what they've saved. So that might be going to a state school or a public school. It might also mean considering going abroad. So this might sound crazy, but American 529 plans can be used for certain overseas schools. So if you go on the FAFSA site, you might be able to find out that your child, if they got into a school in the United Kingdom or in Canada, could use their 529 for that. And those schools are far more cost-effective than U.S.-based schools. Yes. And then I think for a lot of parents, there has to be boundaries and have to say, look, we're going to do as best as we can to get you set up to fund college. But at the end of the day, the best gift we might be able to give our child is that we aren't put in a precarious financial position because you don't want to have to get your child through school and then you're unable to retire or you've got so much debt out against your house or against your 401k that, you know, you put yourself in, in a situation that is precarious and could push you towards bankruptcy. But that's what's happening, right? A lot of parents are doing that. They're, they're borrowing against their 401k and their home equity and putting themselves right. in a precarious situation. They are. And, and part of it is we're not talking to our children about the jobs they are considering when they get out of school. You know, for, for instance, if someone wants to be a teacher, which is, it's a great profession, it's a very fulfilling profession, but it, it's not a profession that, you know, drives large salaries. You know, one of the discussions you need to have with your child is if you want to be a teacher, is going to a $67,000 a year school really the right choice? Or can you be better served going to a state school where there's a better chance of the money that we have saved being able to cover it? So there has to be really a discussion as you go through it over what the child's ultimate goals are. And what, what might surprise you is as you go through the financial discussion with your child, your child starts to get an understanding of this is a big commitment they're making down the line. And there's other things that they might want to do, like eventually buy a house or travel the world. And so all of these, these discussions have to happen so that you put your child in the best financial position to succeed, as well as put yourself in the best financial position. Where is it best to hold the money that you're saving for college uh, as, as, a, as affects financial aid? There are so-called UGMA accounts, Uniform Gifts to Minors accounts or UTMA's Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts, 529 plans, is it better to hold it in the kid's name, in the parent's name, as it applies for financial aid? 
Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, and I tell this to everybody, you want to save as much as possible for your child. In terms of, of aid, you know, 529 plans are factored into the calculation. It's a calculation of 5.64% of the asset's value is factored into the overall financial decisions when you when you go through financial aid. So it's not a huge sum. And when you have things like UTMAs and UGMAs, they are also factored into financial aid. But but here's the deal. Ultimately, you know, you've got saving for college is so hard. You know, every little bit helps. And I think what you have to do is also speak to your child about what is the what does the financial picture look like when funding an education? You might be using part of a 529 plan and you might have to choose to get a grant, you know, get student loans, right, which have to get paid back. And then there's also what we would call gift aid. And gift aid is grants from the government or scholarship aid. And the one thing that that parents really need to talk to their child about is sitting down and doing the hard work and applying for scholarships. The numbers show for every 10 scholarships you apply for, you get one. And so there's a lot of great sites out there that weren't there when you and I were kids, Jordan, where you could go in and run a filter and sort of figure out, okay, I'm eligible to apply for these scholarships. And have your child go forth and apply. And the biggest scholarship application periods are either September and in March. And, you know, you having your child work on some strong essays and put together the applications to try to get aid and then show them how that the scholarships they got had an impact on their overall ability to finance college can be a really fulfilling experience for your child. If you have scholarship money, you, you won a scholarship, that counts against the financial aid you're going to get, though, right? It's kind of a direct offset. Is that the right Correct. Word? Correct. So it's it, paying it means for school. You, it means you don't have to borrow that amount is what it comes down to. Correct. Which, but, if you think about it, that's the best type of situation you can be in. Gift aid is what you want. These are grants. These are scholarships that don't have to be paid back. And I can't reiterate that enough because when you go into what we call self-help, right, this is really student loans. And, and since the early 2000s, there is so much access available to student loans. And that can be a great thing, but it is a, also a dangerous thing. That is why the millennials and the Gen Xers are dealing with a really precarious situation. And you just saw that last month when the Fed report came out on wealth building in this country. Yes. What would be one website that you would like for people to search for scholarships that you think is good? Um, you know, some of the basic ones that are out there, I would tell you, are scholarships.com and fastweb.com. Yes. But keep in mind, each state, some states have their own sites. And, and these kids are so good on the computers, they could probably find it in a heartbeat. Yes. But, you know, if you've got a sophomore or junior at home, get them looking today. Get them thinking about what, what scholarships they want to apply for and what, what they're going to have to do to get that money. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman. She's managing partner at Checkers Financial Management in San Francisco. Her website is thewealthintersection.com. We'll be back after this.
the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Megan Gorman, managing partner at Checkers Financial Management in San Francisco. She's the author of The Wealth Intersection website at thewealthintersection.com. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thanks, Jordan. So let's kind of take a broader view of this, of making the college decision in the first place. Mm-hmm. When is it appropriate for I mean, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, to make these huge financial decisions? And when is it maybe... They shouldn't be going to college. You have a lot of people graduating without a particular skill, and now they've got the diploma, maybe not the skill, and a huge amount of debt, and they're, they're sorry about it for the rest of their lives. Right. No, you, 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 it's, it's a great point in the sense that we do ask kids to make big financial decisions when, when probably emotionally they might not be ready for it. So the first thing I would tell parents with children in regards to working with them with money is talking to them as soon as, you know, when they're very young and keeping that conversation going is really important because you want them to feel comfortable with the concepts of finance. I think one of the weaknesses in the U.S. educational system is we don't teach personal finance in school. And I think a lot of families don't talk about it because the parents themselves feel, you know, rather inept 
or unprepared to handle this. So I think having an early discussion and continually to be talking about it is key. When you're, you know, getting to the point of, you know, should your child go to college, you know, these are discussions you have to sit down with your child and your child's guidance counselor, but you bring up a great point in that not everyone should go to college. And I think that's where this is what we're going to see over the next 10 to 20 years is people opting out because they don't feel it will really help propel them forward. But it's a very personal decision. So are there other alternatives? For example, community college or trade school or even online universities like a Udacity or something like that. Is that a, a good alternative? There's a lot of jobs available in the trades because the baby boomers are retiring and there's not enough plumbers, electricians, carpenters, and so on replacing them. Right. It is a good option. They are all good options if that's what your child wants to do. Community college is always a great option. Um, if your child's unsure about which direction they want to go, I think if you go down that path, you need to have a strategy where after the first year and then after the second year, you and your child rethink, is this where you want to keep going or do you want to go on to to college? Um, you know, in, in terms of really, you know, this is just a very personal decision for people, but I think it's also key when parents are having this discussion with their children to talk about ultimate salary goals. You know, there is enough data out there to show that just having a high school degree might not be enough to make more than a certain amount. So you really, if you're going to not go to college, you have to really understand you're going to put a restriction on yourself and maybe how much you can grow money over the course of time. And then how about graduate school, which is a huge amount, 200, 300, 400,000, business school, law school, medical school, uh, is, is that always going to pay off or is it worth it to take on that amount of debt? It depends on it depends on the student. It really does. And I think for anyone who's considering going to business school, you know, looking to join companies that offer, you know, education help can be can be really beneficial. I think, you know, in terms of trying to get into some of these schools, again, the scholarship aspect of it is key going and looking for aid that you don't have to pay back will be incredibly important. And so you really have to take out your calculator and sort of calculate out and sketch out how you're really going to pay for something once you're out of school and, and factor in what a real life budget would look like with your, stu with your student loan payments in it. So that's why I always tell people, ultimately, funding a 529 plan, you can't overfund it. Because in this day and age, there is a large group of people across this country that will go for their graduate degrees. And keep in mind, your 529 monies can pay for your graduate school. Yeah. And, and one other feature to it is if you have more than, if you have two kids and one child doesn't use all their 529 plan money, you can switch the beneficiary to another child. Yeah. I mean, there are limits as to how much you can put into it every year. You say you can't overfund it, but there's only so much you can put into it every year, right? Um, not really. I mean, most plans have a cap. You know, the caps are usually you can't do more than $300,000. But the average uh -huh. American is putting in, you know, $3,600 a year. Yeah. So I don't want to ever deter anyone from funding it because every little bit helps. And, and for anyone who's got, who's, you know, got a newborn or a toddler, they should be doing this right now. Start funding it every month. Have something go in. Keep it simple and fund it constantly. How about grandparents? Should grandparents be contributing 
to the parents' 529 or should they set up their own? And what are the complications for them as far as financial aid? Yeah, and, and keep in mind, um, first of all, grandparents helping to fund is a wonderful thing. I see it all the time. Um, you know, keep in mind when you are funding to a 529 plan, most people um, should be aware of what's called the annual gift exclusion. So basically, Jordan, you could give $15,000 to whomever you want in the phone book every year. Okay, so a, a, a couple can give 30000 to a 529 plan. So a lot of grandparents do this as a way of moving wealth down to different generations and to help their children with the burden. Keep in mind, grandparents are great for doing this, but the one thing we have to be aware of is grandparents, taking money out of a grandparent's 529 plan can have a negative impact on the FAFSA form because the untaxed earnings, even though the money comes out tax-free, can be attributed to the child on the FAFSA form. So just be aware of that. So Meaning they would get less financial aid is what you're saying. Potentially, yes. yes. So if your grandparents are doing this, you know, you might want to use mom and dad's 529 plan for the first two years and your grandmother and grandfather's in the second two years, yeah. right, where it would have less of a negative impact. We have the about other thing minutes is to you go. can also change the, uh, contrib- change the owner of the account as well. Yeah. We have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of sum up the difference it'll make in people's lives and in your clients' lives to take some of the advice we've given as far as 529 planning for college versus the way a lot of people do it? Yeah, sure. Really quickly, you know, setting up a 529 plan and setting up an automatic payment into the plan every month is key. You want to constantly be buying and you want to constantly be saving. The same time, keep it simple, age-based, low cost. It's the best way to do it. And then keep in mind today, if you make under $400,000, you just got a present from the IRS. You can take a $2,000 child tax credit per child. And if you really want to be smart, capture that $2,000 and put it in the 529 plan so that the government helps you fund your child's education. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Megan Gorman. She is the managing partner at Checkers Financial Management based in San Francisco. She's also the author of the website, The Wealth Intersection, where she has a lot of information about 529 plans that we've been talking about. So you can see that at thewealthintersection.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Megan. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.